Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see everyone here this morning. Boy, a lot of you here this morning. That's, that's awesome. Thanks for being here. Uh, we're going to continue our series in the book of 1 John. So if you could uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 John. So if you're new to the faith, we're not talking about the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're not talking about the book of John. We're talking about John's letter, the first letter that John wrote. So uh, 1 John. And we'll be in chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And why don't we stand as we read God's word together. First John 2, 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident. Who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is the word of God. Please be seated. So as we continued on in our series in 1 John, last week we talked about false teachers and some of the characteristics of the false teacher. And now as we move into this section of the book of John, John begins to go more in depth as to what the genuineness of a believer looks like. You know, that's really the whole pur purpose of the book of 1 John. You know, when you read one of Paul's letters, uh, Paul oftentimes will state at the front of his letters, at the beginning of one of his letters, why he's writing this particular letter. John kind of does it in reverse order. In chapter five at the, at the end of the book, John states why he's writing this book. And he states very clearly in chapter 5, I'm writing this so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
That's the reason why John wrote this book. It was very important for John and and where Christianity was at this point to lay out a very clear case as to how you can know whether or not you are a genuine Christian. You've heard the stats. The stats have been shared numerous times, maybe too numerous, about how many people that are in today's Western evangelical church that are genuine believers. And every time you hear the stats, the stats are not very generous. You know, they started like 50% and go worse from there. That only half the people in our Western churches are genuine believers. And some people say it's much higher, much higher. Which is why likely the Lord said in Matthew chapter 7 that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we've done all these things in your name. What does Jesus say to that person? I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. Now, when you read passages like that, and you read some of the warning passages in the book of Hebrews, and you read through some of these passages in 1 John, it should do something to you. It it should stir you in one direction or the other that you can really be settled as to whether or not you are genuinely in the faith because it really is the most important question that you could ever contemplate in life. Whether or not Christ's righteousness is what's getting you to heaven or you think it's you and your righteousness, which means you spend forever paying for your sin in hell. You and your righteousness earns you hell. Christ and his righteousness earns you heaven. Which one are you putting your trust in? It's actually fairly simple. So simple that even a child can embrace Christ. That's really what the book of 1 John is all about. And as we look at what the genuine believer is, John lays out a pretty clear case here. Pastor Phil will get into more detail on this as the series goes on. But let's look once again at the passage we just read. A few things I want us to point out here from the text as to what the genuine believer really looks like. First of all, I think from verses 1 to 3, that we can see that the genuine believer is looking for Jesus and becoming more like him. And where do we see that in the text? Look once again at 1 John chapter 3, which says this. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And very importantly, verse 3, everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Pretty clear case John's laying out here. The genuine believer is looking for Jesus and becoming more and more like Christ. Why is this? Because the genuine believer loves Christ. Plain and simple. The genuine believer loves Christ. The genuine believer is looking to be more like Christ. The genuine believer wants to become more like Jesus more and more in his or her life. It's interesting that the Apostle John that wrote this talked about the coming of Christ in the book of Revelation. In the final chapter of the book of Revelation, 
John records the words of the Lord where Jesus says this, Revelation 22, 7, I'm coming soon. Revelation 22, 12, I'm coming soon. Revelation 22, 20, surely I am coming soon. John's response to that, which is the last prayer of Scripture, the last prayer in the Bible, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. It's the last prayer in Scripture. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. It's the final thing that that is prayed in Scripture. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You think about John and how well John knew Jesus and the fact that John was the beloved disciple and that John was probably a teenager when he was following Christ. When he was leaning on Christ's chest at the Last Supper, it was John that was the one that maybe Jesus discipled the most the one that was at the foot of the cross when Christ was dying, that knew this Jesus so well and wanted so bad to be reunited with his Lord because he loved him so much. And this is why John's saying here in 1 John chapter 3, when he appears, it'll be glorious for those of us that are his children. And you may not think about it this way, but for the generation that will be alive at the rapture, the return of Christ will be soon. In fact, once those events start to trigger, as we've talked about in previous studies, once those events start to trigger for the return of Christ, it's not long. It's quick. And for the generation that's alive, that doesn't know Christ, he will come way too soon because they won't be ready. John says you should be ready. Why? Verse one, where's kids? Where's children? Is one of the cases that John makes here. Where's children? See what, verse one, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. Verse two, beloved, we are God's children now. John's making it very clear. We are God's children now. In other words, this isn't something that you just kind of like get absorbed into God's family once you could get up to heaven. John's making the very clear case that if you are a genuine believer in Christ, you are a child of God right now. Right now, you are a walking, breathing child of God. That's the way you got to think about it. And you're walking around as a living, breathing child of God, and no one knows it in the world. You know, they don't see brightness around you or some halo over your head identifying you as a child of God. They don't know you're a child of God. If you went up to the average dude in Philly and said, bro, I'm a child of God, he'd be like... Sweet. (laughs) Okay, great. You're a child of God. I'm a child of nature. Whatever, whatever. You know, John here is saying, they don't know you're a child of God. They didn't know Jesus was the son of God. If they didn't know Jesus was the son of God, they're not going to know you're a child of God. They don't know. Why? Because they're stooped in sin. They're under the blindness of Satan. They're under deception. They have no clue who God's children are. But John makes it so clear, you are one of his children. 
And you're waiting for your father, for your daddy to come back for you. Because of that, because we're waiting for Christ to come back, what does verse 3 say? We are purposed for purity. Look at verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in him, hopes in the appearing of Christ, has this confidence in the appearing of Christ. Everyone that has this confidence in the appearing of Christ, what? Purifies himself even as he is pure. Simply means this. You're waiting for Jesus to come, and when he does come, we will be like him. Where does it say that in verse 2? Beloved, we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Paul very, very clearly records that the moment that you were called home to be with Christ... Your body is transformed at the rapture. You are transformed into a glorified body. If you're alive at the rapture of Christ, you're transformed into a glorified body. And physically, the characteristics that Christ has at his resurrection are the characteristics that you will have. You will be like him. So therefore, what should be our goal here on planet Earth right now? If we're going to be like him one day, John's rationale is, if that's who you're going to be, why aren't you striving to be more like him now? If, if the goal is you're going to see Christ and you're going to be like Christ and he's your father and, and he is the Lord of your life and that's who you're eventually going to be translated into, why is that process not a goal of your life now? He's basically saying this to the false teachers. And he's saying it to all of us. Brothers and sisters, if the passion of your life is not to be more like Christ, you've got to start asking some serious questions. The desire of every believer is to be like Christ. You will not be in all for all eternity like your favorite TikToker. You will not be like your favorite YouTuber. You will not be like your favorite quarterback. You will not be like your favorite American ninja warrior. You will be like one person, Jesus. That should motivate your life. This means that the desire of the true believers to become like Christ, like the Lord who saved him. The person, listen closely, the person that has no desire, listen closely, the person that has no desire over the trajectory of his life to become like the one who saved him likely doesn't really know him. If you've come to know the love of Christ, then his love has been poured out in your heart and you have a deep desire to know Christ. You know, I think sometimes in our Western churches, we just soften too much what it really means to be a Christian. We soften it. We, we try to make the net so big and so huge and the tent so big and so huge of the people that are really in the body of Christ. I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced. 
And we, we try to make it so easy and we, and we try to like, you know, nurse people into the fact that you really are a child of God when it should be very evident who the children of God are and who aren't. We should have a desire to be like Christ, a deep desire to be like him. All right, so illustration time. I can think of no greater illustration to illustrate being like Jesus than the movie Jaws, all right? Admittedly a little strange, and we're not gonna see any blood or gore here, all right? So you don't have to whisk your children out of here. But as we dim the lights, watch this interesting scene of being like someone. Let's watch. Okay, that's it for Jaws, all right? You can watch the rest on your own time. All right, kind of a beautiful illustration there of that father-son moment where that son admiring and loving his father so much that he wants to be just like him. That is exactly how the New Testament lays out our attitude and how it's supposed to be towards Christ. It'd be like if you were that little boy sitting at that table and Jesus was sitting there with you, you'd be watching everything Jesus was doing and doing it exactly like him. When he picks up the fork, you pick up the fork. When he picks up the drink, you pick up the drink. Because in your mind, you're saying, man, if Jesus is doing, I want to do it. Yet how many of us live like that now as Christians? Well, if Jesus is doing it, I want to do it. If Jesus is showing compassion to the lowest of the low, I want to do it. If Jesus is speaking truth with grace, I want to do it. If Jesus is showing compassion to people that never are shown compassion by the world, I want to do it. The way that Jesus lives is the way that I want to live. How do we do that? We follow in his steps. One of the ones who followed in the steps of Jesus, Peter, made it so clear in 1 Peter chapter 2, 21, where he said, those that want to be like him walk in his steps. They follow in his steps. How do you do that? Like just practically speaking, very practically, you pick up the Bible and you read about the life of Christ. 
and you read about all the things that he did and you study the life of Christ and, and you, you look very closely at how Jesus lived his life and you basically say all the things that Jesus did, that's how I want to live my life. And you put it into practice in your life and you start to realize as the Holy Spirit points out truth to you that there's so many areas of your life where you're not like Jesus and the Holy Spirit gently moves you along to be like him. Make Christ's likeness a passion. Church, do not be casual about it. Make Christ's likeness a passion. Don't be like this world. Do not emulate this world. Do not want to be like this world. Have nothing to do with all the pursuits of this world and follow exclusively the Lord Jesus Christ with your life. The genuine believer is looking for Jesus and becoming more like him. But the genuine believer is also not living in carefree, Christless sin. See that on the screen there. The genuine believer is not living in carefree, Christless sin. Where do we see this? Verse 4. Look back in your scriptures. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin. In him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Whoa. You see what I'm saying with like drawing the lines between believers and unbelievers and those who are genuinely Christians and those aren't? Like in John's mind, it's not easy to get into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said the same thing. Many think they are. Most are not. Now, with simple faith and trust in Christ, you can be a child of God. It's not complicated. It's not hard. Without going into a ton of detail here, the reason why John was saying some of the things he was saying here is because a lot of the false teachers of John's day had become very cavalier with sin. Very cavalier, very carefree with sin. They were likely saying that you could sin, and depending on the sin, sin as much as you want without it having no impact on you spiritually. Because a lot of these false teachers were drawing this false dichotomy between um, your body that's like participating in sin and your soul, which has been born again. So because your soul has been born again, you can sin and it has no impact on your soul. And so if you're a false teacher, you're saying, hey, you're going to heaven, sin as much as you want. And in many ways, they were likely drawing these hard lines between what was called sin and lawlessness. You'll notice that if you do some study on this passage here, 
They were, they were likely drawing these hard lines between, well, those things that you do that are evil are called sin, and these other things that you do over here is called lawlessness, and they're very different from each other, is what the false teachers were likely saying. So you can't do this stuff that's called sin, but this stuff over here, lawlessness, you can do it, and it really has no impact on you. John just says, forget all that. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is sin. Uh, you, you, you can color it up. You, you can dress it up as much as you want. And boy, has our culture done that. Sin is sin. John here is saying that sin is not compatible with the Father. You simply cannot embrace sin and embrace Christ. If you've chosen as a lifestyle to embrace sin, you have made the decision to not embrace Christ. Where do we see that? Look again at verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of who? The devil. John, these are some hard words. He's just telling it to you straight. Now listen closely, believer. We're not talking about struggles with sin that every believer has. We talked about that last week. Every believer struggles with sin. Every believer struggles with sin. Okay, so don't think that I'm up here and I'm some perfect dude. Ask my wife. Um, ask the guys in my discipleship group. They'll tell you Scott is not a perfect dude. Far from it. This is why John spoke of the need for confession in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and then cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Some of these false teachers are saying, unnecessary. Unnecessary. Sin as much as you want. Don't talk to God about it. Embrace sin as much as you want. Live however you want. Do whatever you want. John says, no way. That very sin that you are saying is so important to you, John says here in the text, that very sin that you, that you cherish and prize is the very sin for which Christ died on the cross. It's troubling. Puts a different perspective on sin. That in those moments before you sin, before you participate in that favorite pet sin that you have, that I have, in those moments before that sin comes and you're about to do it, just reminding yourself, Jesus died so I could do this. Just sad, but true. Here's what sets it apart. When a believer recognizes his sin and does something about it, that's good. That's good. That's an indicator the Spirit's working in your life. That's a good thing. It's a good thing, not a good thing to sin, but a good thing that when you do sin, you say, that's sin. I don't want that to be a part of my life. Christ died so that I didn't have to do that sin. I can have victory over that sin. I want to confess that sin before God right now. That's a good thing, and we should be doing that. In fact, we should be confessing our sins one to another, Paul said. That's a good thing. But the person that recognizes his sin 
does nothing about it, doesn't care about it, that's a good indicator of the absence of the Spirit in your life. So what this verse and other verses in this passage and throughout the book of 1 John is saying, it's talking about a life that doesn't care about Christ. It's void of Christ. Sin has taken up residence in that person's life, not Christ. We're talking about a person here who has no interest in Christ, not evidenced by their youth group attendance, not evidenced by their Sunday morning attendance, not evidenced by them joining groups in the church, but evidenced by their actions. This person is not interested in pleasing Christ. This person is interested in pleasing themselves and their desires. This is someone who has not had real life change since coming to Christ. Their sinful trajectory has just continued since day one. This person has no fruit or evidence that they truly are a child of God. If this is you, the solution is simple. Repent. Repent of your sin right now. Trust in Christ and his righteousness alone to save you. Call on the Lord Jesus to save you. He will save you. He will save you if you trust him. To the believer that's struggling with sin, any believer struggling with sin here? Got my hand up. Every day, every stinking day, I struggle with sin. Every day. And if you're honest, if you're a believer, so do you. Here's the good news. Your sin does not cause you to lose your salvation. Mentioned it last week, I'm going to hit it again. Your sin does not cause you to lose your salvation. You can't lose your salvation. Our God is a gracious God full of mercy and compassion, quick to forgive his children, and does not hold our sin against us. God sent his son for the reason, very reason to forgive us of our sin. Church, listen, when you confess your sin to God, God forgives you over and over and over and over and over and over. Every day, multiple times, Christ forgives your sin. Church, listen, your eternal life is not based on you and your performance. Your eternal life is based on the grace of God, not you. Your salvation is not based on how much faith you have. Your salvation is based on the object of your faith, Christ. If your works didn't earn you eternal life, your works will not cancel your eternal life. Jonathan Edwards said, you contribute nothing to your sin except the sin that made it necessary. And church, you can do nothing to reverse God's saving of you. You cannot be unsealed from the Holy Spirit of promise. It's not possible. That's good. That's needed. Boy, I need that. You know, what a comfort to know that every time I sin, as a genuine believer, forgiveness and grace is there and overflowing. Overflowing. And my sin doesn't cause God to love me anymore or love me any less. 
because my righteousness is not based on me, it's based on Christ. That is really good news. What is John's solution to the sin problem? Let's talk about it. Quick review. The genuine believer is looking for Jesus and becoming more like him. The genuine believer is not living in carefree, Christless sin. But also the genuine believer lives righteously and abides in Christ. Let's talk about it. Look at your scriptures. 1 John 3. 3, 3.6 says this. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Living righteously and abiding in Christ. Verse 6 says, no one abiding in him keeps on sinning. Meaning this, if you are tethered to Christ, living with Christ in his word, in total submission to the Holy Spirit, sin will not be the defining characteristic of your life. It's just not possible. Living in obedience to the word, walking in the Holy Spirit, applying the scriptures to your life means you will not be abiding in sin. It means you'll be abiding in Christ. Flip over with me to John 15 real quick. John 15. John 15, 1 to 7. Familiar passage. Let's read it again. 1 John 15, 1 to 7. John 15, 1 to 7. It says this. I am the true vine. These are the words of Christ at the Last Supper. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that, he, that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it might bear more fruit. Already are you clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Boy, we need to remember that. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Abiding. Okay, so sometimes when you hear someone talking about, well, brother, you got to abide in Christ. It's like, what do you mean? What, what exactly are we talking about here, abiding in Christ? Because this, this word here for abide um, is used a lot in the book of John and in the letters of John. So John loves this word abide. You know, of all the New Testament writers, John uses it the most. 
Check this out on the screen. Abiding comes from a Greek word that basically means live in or remain. It speaks of being tethered to Christ. How do I practically live out abiding? A significant clue was found in verse 7. What did verse 7 say? I'll show you on the screen here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you want and it'll be done for you. That's a pretty clear statement there. That phrase, my words abide in you, is so critical, I think, to what abiding is. As we remain in the words of Christ, we remain tethered to Christ, and sin does not have a grip on our lives. As we absorb the word of God, as we live out the word of God, as we memorize the word of God, sin is not tethered to us and we're not abiding in sin, we're abiding in Christ. When we take ourselves away from the words of Christ, when we stiff arm the Holy Spirit, we leave ourselves open to sin. We have to stay connected to Christ. The reason why many of us struggle with certain types of sin is because we are not connected to Christ the way we're supposed to be. All right? Check this out. Here's a nice flower. Isn't that nice? A nice flower. Now, this is real, by the way. It's got dirt. Um, this flower is doing what it does, looking nice, living out its purpose. Why? Piece of machinery down here. This nice little stem, right? See that? Disconnected. How long do you think this is going to last? Eh, hour or two, maybe a little longer. Not long. Not long. This little dude down here. See that other one down here? Provided I don't pull out the scissors again, he's just going to keep on going, right? Church, listen. The reason why we struggle so much with certain types of sin is because we are not remaining tethered to Christ and his word. Your struggles with worry, your struggles with doubt, your struggles with pornography, your struggles with lust, your struggles with gossip, your struggles with malicious words, whatever the struggles are that we all have, whatever the struggle is, the struggle is, it comes down to whether or not you truly are abiding in Christ. And whether or not you've made it a practice to mean it not just like a switch you turn on and like, oh, suddenly I'm abiding in Christ and wow, I'm sin free. No, this is like disciplining yourself to abide in Christ that I'm tethered to Christ. 
and that I'm recognizing the times in my life where I'm intentionally doing this. We have to, that's what abiding is all about. That's what John is really trying to get at here. When you're connected to Christ through prayer, study, memorizing scripture, living in obedience to the Holy Spirit, you're abiding in Christ. When those circumstances change, you're living just like the flower that's been cut. You are living on your own. You're flying solo because you're not abiding in Christ. And for many of us, you've seen that in your spiritual walk. Not rocket science, guys. When you're really growing in your relationship with Christ, it's because you're doing certain things, right? You're just doing basic stuff when you're growing in your relationship with Christ. And you've noticed that when you're no longer growing in Christ, you're not doing the stuff you're supposed to be doing. Pretty simple stuff. Listen closely. Depending on how often you live like this, depending on how often you live like this, the assurance of your salvation will be impacted. It really will. The Christian who's choosing to not abide and is choosing to live in a sinful lifestyle will not experience assurance of their salvation. Like Peter said in 2 Peter 1, you will forget that your original sin has been forgiven. So listen closely. Let's say you're living like this right now. You're not abiding in Christ. Couple simple solutions. Number one, humble your hearts by getting help. Stop living in isolation. Particularly the men in the room. Men in the room. Boy, us men love to live in isolation. It's like a macho thing to live in isolation. Jesus would say it's the wimpiest thing in the world to live in isolation. True strength is found when you humble your heart and submit yourself to other brothers in Christ. That's true manliness. Humble your heart, and I would say number two, just, just to keep it real simple, join a group. We've got so many groups, church, that would love to encourage and support you. We've got grace in action. We've got discipleship groups for men and women. We've got connection groups, like every flavor of group on the planet in this church. But many of you aren't in one, and quite possibly, you're flying solo. Practical steps for us here, found in 1 John. Let's review. The genuine believer is looking for Christ and becoming more like him. The genuine believer is not living in carefree, Christless sin. The genuine believer lives righteously and abides. Let's pause. Let's commit this to prayer before Mark comes up to join us up here. Let's pause. Let's pray. Take just a moment between you and the Lord. Take just a moment between you and the Lord. What was the one thing from today's talk that had the greatest impact on you that needs to change? 
What was the one thing? I know that there have to be people in here, but they're truly not children of God. Is that you? Then today is your day to stop playing games, to humble your heart, to repent of your sin, and call on Christ to save you. Today is your day. Would you call on Christ to save you right now? I don't care if you've been coming here for 20 years. I don't care what your role is in this church. Your eternal direction means the most to any of us. Can you say with confidence that because of the evidence of your life, you truly are a child of God? Teens, can you truly say, based on the evidence of your life over these last 12 months, that you truly are a child of God? Right now, between you and God, would you call on Christ to save you? Would you do it right now? You might be like, this is all new to me. I don't know what to say. Maybe in your heart, you'd say something like this. Just between you and God. Maybe in your heart, you'd say something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws. I've sinned against you. Would you tell God that? Would you agree with God that you're a sinner? Maybe in your own words, you'd say, but I believe that Jesus Christ is God. That he died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and rose again. Would you say that to God right now? Maybe in your own words, you'd say, the best I know how, I call on Jesus to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life and save me now. In your own words, would you just say that to God? Would you talk to God? Would you call on Christ to save you? Just real quick, one more time. In your own words, nothing magical about this. If it's coming from your heart and you mean it, that's what matters the most. Would you say, God, I know I'm a sinner. Go ahead and tell him that. I've sinned against you, broken your laws. But I believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and rose again. Best I know how, I'm calling on Jesus to forgive me of my sin, to come into my life and save me now. Maybe you prayed that. Not the prayer that saves you. It's your trust in Christ that saves you. Would you trust in Christ right now? Maybe you're seated here this morning and, you know, for the first time that you've actually meant it in your life, you prayed to trust Christ. I'd like to close praying for you this morning. No one looking around, just a private moment between you and God. If you did pray to trust Christ this morning, could you let me know that simply by raising your hand up right now? 
Thank you. Thank you. Anyone over here I might have missed? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you in the back. Anyone else? Head's still bowed. A number of you expressed this morning your desire to trust Christ. If you'd like to talk more about that, I'll likely be in the foyer as soon as we're dismissed today. I'd like for you to come find me and talk to me about it or go to the Welcome Center and talk to the people at the Welcome Center. Find one of our, one of our elders. Find one of our worship leaders. Find someone before you leave and just talk to them about that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for making it so clear in your word what it means to be a genuine child of God. And Lord, I would pray that all of us would just have very strong assurance, not because of the way we live our lives, but because of Christ's righteousness, because of what he did for us, that we are children of God. Lord, I pray for people in here that raise their hands today and maybe have indicated for the first time that they're trusting in Christ. And Lord, maybe for others that didn't raise their hand, but they trusted Christ, and for others that are in process. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't just let that go dormant, that they would genuinely seek someone else and to just get this settled, to get it settled, Lord. Would you just allow that to happen would your Holy Spirit, Lord, just continue to work in people's lives? Thank you, Lord, for what you've done today. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill. Hill.